Please pray with me. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight because you and you only, God, are our strength and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, I think I see the advantage of, of arranged marriages. I wouldn't want one. Although sometimes I think it's helpful for me to think of my marriage to Rachel as having been arranged. When I focus on thinking of having chosen to marry Rachel and her having chosen to marry me, it's easy for me to think that we were meant for each other. That being adults, we both made this choice of each other and I chose her, she chose me, and that since we chose each other, being adults, we know what we were doing, we would have a good marriage almost automatically because we chose well, if we chose well, the marriage wouldn't require work or effort. But no one knows what they're doing when they get married. And I feel like people entering arranged marriages might be more aware of that than those of us who chose because we think we chose well. Of course, when I say no one knows what they're doing when they get married, I don't mean that people shouldn't get married. Exactly the opposite. I mean, we have to keep doing things when we don't know, even though we don't know enough to make those decisions. Because honestly, most of the time, we don't know enough about most of the choices that we have to make when we have to make them. Part of the human condition, I think, is not knowing everything and thus not being able to wait to make decisions until we have enough information. I remember standing in my parsonage in Nacogdoches, Texas, when my brother Rob was a student at Stephen F. Austin there. He'd stopped by that evening for a visit, and he had a friend with him. I don't remember his friend's name. I don't remember if they were dating or not, but that's not what this story is about. This story is about how that evening, my child, then less than two years old, was awake later than usual. Turns out, Robbie, my child, had had Dr. Pepper. We'd given Robbie Dr. Pepper that evening, and as you know, Dr. Pepper contains caffeine. So my brother's friend said, when I explained why Robbie was still awake, oh, I would never let my young child have caffeine. I didn't bother answering because I very quickly realized that I'd been that person too. I myself had commented authoritatively on some experience I had never had. Some couples talk about having children and waiting to have children until they have enough money. When does anyone but Jeff Bezos have enough money to have children? Sure, you plan and you save and you might wait if you're young, that's fine. But just like people don't really know what they're doing when they get married, no one is really ready to have children when they have children. And that's partly because the children you have never turn out to be exactly the children you planned for. Which I suppose is what makes it fair that when you, as a parent, call your parents to commiserate and hope for some support when you've had a particularly hard day of parenting and what you get is a chuckle and then something like, you used to do that when you were that age. And you can't possibly know all you're doing when you get married because you don't know your fiance well enough to make a fully informed decision. Heck, you don't know yourself well enough 
to make a fully informed decision, a decision that rises to the level of being able to promise to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, so long as you both shall live. But you make the vows anyway, and you make them work. You continue to learn about yourself and about your spouse. Your spouse continues to learn about themselves and about you, and you both learn about this new entity that is the two of you together, and it becomes your marriage, the kind of thing that you could not possibly have been fully prepared for on the day of your wedding. That's okay. We're all that way. Because when it comes right down to it, the world is beyond our control. You know this right now. The world is beyond our control. Even our own section of the world is beyond our control. So here's the thing. Before you had any idea before we had any idea that we would be social distancing or sheltering in place. Weeks before I suggested that on an upcoming Sunday, now a month ago, we avoid handshakes and hugs for the sake of protecting people from the novel coronavirus, we set out a schedule for this sermon series for the season of Lent, giving up for good. And we decided no later than the beginning of February, that this Sunday would be giving up our need for control of the future. Our theme word for this day is peace. As we learn to give up our need for control of the future, we open ourselves to the kind of peace that only God gives. God has for us, as followers of Jesus, the kind of peace that we cannot imagine until we actually start to give up our need for control. So I have this question for you that I want to give you some time to think about, if you will. Um, how have you given up your need for control over the last couple of weeks? Think about it, if you will, in terms of that question Dr. Phil has made famous. How's it working for you now? So how have you given up control in the last couple of weeks in ways that you couldn't have imagined before. And, and share it in the comments here so that other people that are also joining in this worship service can share what you have experienced because something that you have to share may actually help someone else. So take some time to do that. Sometimes I give up control after a little fit of grumpiness. I stew. I turn inward. I try to avoid contact with my family so that I don't take it out on them. But I don't know if you've noticed, these aren't the kinds of times that it's easy to avoid your family members. Sometimes in my better moments, I give up control by noticing something that I did or thought about doing and naming it out loud with some other people and then making light of it myself. And then we have a good little laugh about it and it helps me let go of control. That's because at my best moments, I breathe deeply and I remember this variation of the serenity prayer. God, help me, grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change the one I can, and the wisdom to know that's me. I am the only person I can change. 
I am the only person that I have any control over whatsoever. And honestly, sometimes I don't handle me all that well. So here's the real deal for us today. The only person we can control is ourselves. And wait, we don't do that all that well. We can't control other people. We can't control the world around us. Together, today, we echo this deep spiritual truth from the Pointer Sisters. I'm about to lose control, and I think I like it. I think I like it because as I learn to lose control and let go, I give space for God to come in. Because if we are in control or I am in control, God isn't. Are you willing to give up your need to control the people around you or the world around you if it means leaving room for God to work in you and around you? We're not in control anyway. Giving up our need for control is really just getting honest with ourselves, which is scary. Most of us don't really want to be honest with ourselves. Have you ever noticed that some of the characteristics and traits in other people that really irritate you and annoy you in other people are, if you're honest with yourself, characteristics and traits in your own life? Have you left in your wake a long line of people who got close to you, maybe a little too close to you, and when they got that close to you, you freaked out and cut them off because you didn't want them that close to you and you pushed them away? Have you crafted and created a facade, a version of yourself that you believe other people will like and respect and want to be around? But is maintaining that facade just exhausting? God's people have a long history of facing or choosing not to face the very same challenges that you and I face. There is indeed nothing new under the sun. I mean, take the people of Israel to whom Ezekiel wrote in this morning's reading, chapter 37, the story of Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. Ezekiel is a priest of God's people, and they've been taken out of, ex out of their land into exile. They're living in Babylon as, as captives, the land that their ancestors have known as the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of the most glorious time in their history was ripped away from them, and they were taken away from it. And now in this world of captivity, where they're utterly, completely out of control, God shows Ezekiel this vision of a valley full of dry bones, and asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, what we all say when we realize we aren't in control, he says, God, you know. And God does know because God continues that vision and shows Ezekiel how God brings these bones back together and back to life and breathes life into them. And the word for breath is the same as the word for spirit. God breathes spirit into us even if we feel like we're part of a valley of dry bones. God's word is good for today as it was for the people in Ezekiel's day to offer hope that God can do it. Or take Mary and Martha in John chapter 11. Their brother Lazarus is dead. 
Now, earlier in the chapter, they sent word to Jesus because they know Jesus loves Lazarus. And they know Jesus would want to know if Lazarus is sick. And Jesus gets word in Jerusalem, which the story tells us is only two miles from Bethany, that Lazarus is sick and he stays where he is. And he stays there for two days. And by the time he comes, Lazarus is dead. And Mary and Martha are beside themselves. And they're distraught because they feel like Jesus has left them into this puddle of grief and they confront Jesus with that. And in fact, Mary says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you found yourself, maybe in the last couple of weeks, maybe sometime in your life, wanting to say to Jesus, if you had been here, and then how do you fill in that blank? Martha says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But she goes on and says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And so in the midst of her deep grief of having lost her brother, she cedes control to Jesus' mercy. Are you more willing to give up your need for control when you realize that your need for control doesn't actually give you control? Are you willing to give up your need for control if you realize you don't have it? And that if you give it up to Jesus, Jesus can bless you? I want to offer you four steps towards helping us to give up our need for control. One, be honest with yourself. Admit to yourself and perhaps to some people that you trust that you sometimes feel a need for control. If you can identify how and when you especially feel a need for control, that's even more helpful. Be honest with yourself. Step number two, ask yourself, am I willing to let go of control? I think most of us need to ask ourselves that specific question before we can let go of control. We have to ask if we are willing to let go of control. And sometimes our answer to ourselves is no. Step number three, consider who could support you in taking this really challenging and scary step of giving up control. Who do you know who will support you as you walk into that uncertain place? And number four, surrender. Let go of your need for control. Practice putting your trust in God's hands. If you're feeling less in control than you need, than you used to, if you're feeling less in control than you used to, less in control than you'd like to, then now is the perfect time to learn surrender. Give up feeling the need for control because you aren't. You never were. Trust God as you trade in your need for control for surrender. And in doing so, you begin to find peace. And as we, God's people, learn to live in peace, especially these days, we feel blessed and we find ourselves able to offer a blessing to the world around us. Please pray with me.
Good and gracious God, thank you. Thank you for loving us in the midst of our need for control or midst of our temper tantrums and fit throwing and uncertainty and feeling sorry for ourselves and throwing pity parties and lashing out at others. In the midst of all these things that are part of who we are, God, you love us continually. And you are close enough to us that as we acknowledge that we never were in control anyway, we create space to let you in. So God, we invite you in today in all the space and all the ways that we are willing to give up control. We surrender ourselves to you and invite you to work in us in ways that we cannot work in ourselves. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, hold you in Christ Jesus our Lord.